Welcome to the Let's Get Real podcast with Justin and Trisha Davis. Honest conversations about life, love, and leadership. So welcome. Hey everybody, today we have a bonus episode with our friend Joe Sangle. He is the founder of I Was Broke, but now I'm not. And I don't, I love just saying that I was broke, but now I'm not. He is the owner of Enjoy Stewardship Services and you guys are in for a treat. Like get ready is like drinking out of a fire hose. And we are talking all thing finances. We have a big announcement coming up at our next masterclass, which is February 2nd. And it's at 8 p.m. You can register at refinance.org slash masterclass. But this announcement, Trish, is really going to be a game changer for people who want to invest in their marriage relationship. And we're excited to continue the conversation that we started at our first masterclass at the beginning of January, all about finances. So enjoy this bonus episode with Joe Sangle. Hey, thanks so much. It's great to catch up with y'all and be able to talk to the crowd that you serve. We're excited to have you. I I just feel like everybody should have a shirt that says, I was broke and now I'm not. Like, it just feels like a... Except somebody's shirt would be, I was broke and yeah. I'm still broke. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I, I'm broke, still am. Uh, some said I was broke, then I wasn't, now I am again. I mean... That could be on the back of the shirt. This money thing is a journey, no doubt. Yeah. Oh, well, Joe, we'd love to hear your story. And I think for people like me where, I mean, I'm an organized person, but I can't say I'm like passionate about finances. I, I try to get to that place, but tell us your story of like, what brought that passion into your world? Yeah. I mean, and I always appreciate sharing my story. I always say, if you pass a test, you get a testimony. Mm. And I, I remember once I was at a leadership conference and a leader, the very first speaker, there must've been 10 speakers lined up that day. The first speaker started out, uh, all church leaders in the room, do you want to be used greatly by God? So we're all do the Napoleon dynamite answer. Heck yes. <laughs> and, and he says, uh, great. First, he must wound you deeply. Mm. That's all I needed to hear. I, I, because he said it's out of your wounding that you're more effectively able to minister. Oh, wow. And so the, my passion is birth, like many people's ministries are birthed, out of pain. And so I grew up in a house of six kids, two great parents, great life, but money was scarce. We, I would say we we're lower middle class. Um, and I remember distinctly that my parents, you know, if they fought was about money mm-hmm. or it yeah. was precipitated out of the lack of money, uh, trying to feed six kids alone was a challenge. Yeah. We raised our own food. We had a lot of green beans, mm-hmm. but so money was enticing and it was so enticing that I, I still remember every Christmas being so excited because grandma and grandpa were going to be there and they would always give us a $5 bill. And wow. my aunt Karen and uncle Nick would be there and they give us two $1 bills. And I knew that I was going to leave Christmas with seven bucks. That's amazing. Wealth <laughs> beyond measure. And Perhaps the most broke I've ever felt was going to the Indianapolis airport. My brother, an older brother would fly in and out from Houston every year. And back then we used to get to go to the gate with them. I don't know if you remember that. Do you remember that? That's crazy. And I went to buy him a newspaper and I had a brand new Velcro wallet. Yeah. And I, I, I got my, I mean, wealth beyond measure. It would announce it when you would tear it open, you know, that (laughs) tearing sound when you'd open it. And I bought the newspaper and I set my wallet on top of the newspaper stand and I left with the paper, but forgot my wallet. No. Oh, About five minutes later, I remembered that. And I must've been 10 or 11 and I raced back there and my wallet was on the ground, but the money was gone. And I can tell you right now, I've never felt so broke as that moment. I mean, just poverty, <laughs> but, but uh, you know, I went to Purdue. I had no money. First of the six to go to college, me and my identical twin went to college, financed all my education, got a credit card the first weekend I was there, had no idea what I was doing, quickly ran up a huge balance. Back then we had long distance. We had to pay for that. So I ran up a long distance bill, uh, financed the engagement ring, the wedding ring, the honeymoon to Jamaica with my bride, bought a car, financed all of it. Bought a house, financed all of it, got furniture, financed all of it. And I woke up one day and 
and I, I graduated the degree in mechanical engineering from Purdue and I was making good income, but I was even more broke than when I was in college because I realized that I had only learned how to do one thing with money and that was spend it. Mm. No one had ever talked to me about budgeting, the dangers of debt, the importance of saving money and why you should save, how to save. Uh, it was so bad that my, my mom took me to Purdue dropped me off, said, you need a bank account. So we went to bank one, yes. which oh, yeah. is now JP Morgan. And I got a Purdue student checking account, no fees. The next day I bought a tennis racket with the little bit of money I put in there. I filled out a check and then flipped over the check and endorsed it and handed it to the guy. <laughs> because the only thing I'd ever done with checks was sign them. Oh, like I, oh, that wow. was how little my financial knowledge was. And so I just woke up at, about 28 years old saying, we have tens of thousands of dollars of debt. I'm making more money than I ever thought I would in my lifetime. And I, I know how to do calculus, but for some reason I can't figure out this money thing. Mm. And I went on a quest to figure it out. And, you know, God worked a miracle and we started reading what God's word said about it, started reading what a bunch of financial authors read about, uh, wrote about it. Dave Ramsey was a big influence. Larry Burkett's stuff was a big oh, influence. Yeah. Robert Kiyosaki's stuff was a big influence. Um, a couple other authors that are maybe lesser known, uh, David Chilton, a Canadian author, wrote a book called The Wealthy Barber, was a real big influence in my life. And, uh, and, and, and David Bach was another one, The Automatic Millionaire, uh, Start Late, Finish Rich, a great uh, teacher of a fundamental principle of compound interest and me and my bride started applying this. And I realized that this was so much more than just money. It, it was actually about our relationship. It was about what dreams are going to get funded. Mm. It was about having timely and relevant and ongoing conversations that were about more about life and, you know, life costs money. So it forced yeah. us to have those conversations. And so I found myself looking forward to, as a spender, looking forward to these monthly conversations about, hey, the Lord has blessed us with a paycheck again. How do we maximize it? And we worked our way out of our debt in 14 months, except for our house, paid off our house at age 38. And the rest wow. is history, as they say. Wow, that's amazing. I love that perspective. It, how you looked at it was, hey, the Lord has blessed us. Let's let's We get to talk about it mm. rather than, yeah. oh, my gosh, we have to have another financial conversation. As you, I think those conversations have that atmosphere and environment when you see yourself making progress. Hmm. I think if you feel like it's hopeless or if you feel like you're going deeper in the hole, it's hard to muster up any energy for the conversation. That's yeah. good. But, but what had happened for us is we had got a vision. Hmm. And this is why it just, it, you know, you hear a lot of leaders talk about the importance of vision and the Bible says without vision, the people perish. Um, Dr. Maxwell says that without vision, the people perish, but without money, the vision perishes. Mm -hmm. And mm -hmm. I, I, I found a vision and I tell anybody who will listen and several who don't want to listen. Uh, <laughs> hey, I stopped being broke long before my bank account showed it. Oh, and it's good. because we caught a vision. We caught a glimpse of, Hey, if we do this and if, if we can avoid life happening for a little bit, man, some great things could happen. That's really cool. As you interact with people, and I know you deal with churches and their finances, but you also have had, you know, numerous workshops and, and different things that you've done with individuals. What are some of the like most fundamental mistakes you see people making with their finances? Well, this one, this, the, the first one, I'm going to rattle off like three. The first one is less intuitive. Um, and that is they don't take time to write down their plans, hopes, and dreams. Hmm. Uh, we all have plans, hopes, and dreams, but over I, at all my events that I teach, I ask people to raise their hands if their plans, hopes, and dreams are not written down somewhere. And it's over half the room every time. Wow. And, and I think it's a fundamental fact that it's proven in study after study that if you write something down, it's, it's about 33 to 35% more likely 
to happen than if they don't write it down. Okay, we're just going to take Matthews a pause is- for a minute because <laughs> Justin makes fun of my writing down because I got calendars upon calendars and, and vision planners, boards. Yeah. And so I just I just want to say I, I feel very affirmed by Joe right now. Okay, go ahead. <laughs> Do, hey, does stuff get done around your household? That's yes, right. it does. Yeah, that's because you we, write we started, it down. We started doing that um, probably about 12 years ago, 12 or 13 years ago. We started, you know, spending an ex- uh, an intentional amount of time connecting with each other on our plans, our hopes, our dreams. We set goals and to see the trajectory of our life in the last 12 years compared to the first 13 years is, you know, it's unbelievable. Mm. The yeah. difference, even with our kids, intentionality. Yeah. 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 Yes. The, the, but, but you know, people have life verses out of the Bible. If I were to have a financial life verse, if I were to get a tattoo, it would be of Proverbs 21, five, because it says the plans of the diligent lead to profit as surely as haste leads to poverty. And when I realize, hey, if I have a plan and a fruit of the spirit is diligence, if those two get together, we'll have profit. Hmm. If we hastily do it, which means no planning, just wander into it, hoping, hope is not a good strategy. We've heard that. So that's the biggest mistake because they don't write it down. And I encourage people to write it down. And then the second mistake I see is that people, uh, they do not have a budget. They, we all know we need a budget. We all know that we can maximize money and we list all these reasons why we don't have a budget. I'm exhausted. Uh, I don't have time. Uh, my spouse won't work with me on this. Uh, I don't feel like there's enough money to even have a budget. There's a lot of reasons people give, but the fact is in each one of those, you would say, okay, scenario is you don't have enough money. Would a budget help you maximize what you do have? Would it help you from going in the hole as deep as you are? The answer is always yes. Right. A budget would be helpful, and yet we don't do it. And and I think, you know, it's so simple. It's literally, Dave Ramsey says it, it's true. You know, budgeting is telling your money where to go instead of wondering where it all went. Yeah. And when you view budget, you know, a lot of people view Budgeting is doctor no, you know, it's no, no fun. But when you realize, hey, this is your primary tool for maximizing your resources and funding dreams, like you can put golf in the budget. Hmm. You can put a trip to Cancun in the budget. You can do that, like for real, yes, like that's did allowable. everybody just hear those words of Joe? Cancun. I mean, maybe Come some on, of you are especially. like, go golf. What I do love about your story though, Joe, there's so many things just in your testimony Um, you and I grew up the same way and my parents were never got to the point of poverty of like food stamps. I remember when we were really young, we were homeless for a season, stayed with relatives, but I often say that my family really didn't budget because there was no money to budget. It was just always going out. Like they were hardworking blue collar parents that just didn't make a lot of money. And so in their mind, that wasn't accessible to them. So you have that part of it. And then the other half of it is, well, I'm just not smart enough. And so to hear you say, I got a degree from Purdue. If you're not familiar with Purdue University, it is like the creme de la creme when it comes to what you got your degree in. And so, you know, you have this amazing degree, but you still struggled. And I think that for many people, we just get so nervous to even try because we, one, don't know how because we weren't taught And then two, we don't think we're smart enough. And so Hmm. it's so encouraging to hear you really just out of your own testimony, debunk all of those myths. But something that you've also touched on is your faith. And, you know, Jesus talks about money more than anything else. And how have you found, because people get weirdo-ish when it comes to talking about money you know it's not like mm-hmm. you go out to dinner with friends like let's talk about your cash flow you know like it's just <laughs> it's kind of this taboo topic how what was your uh what was your income last year yeah <laughs> how how have you infused your faith how has it become just a part of you know that process of of your faith and finances you, you know i i grew up going to church a lot i grew up in a Pentecostal church and we had church Sunday morning, Sunday night, Tuesday night, Thursday night. And when I got older, Friday night was youth service. And my mother really recommended we go. 
And with six boys in the house, she needed a lot of prayers. So we went to church a lot. And I heard a lot of messages about giving. I didn't hear any messages on the fact that God owned the rest and we're to manage it well too. Gotcha. Oh, wow. That's that's good. And that, that, so I knew I should be a giver. I knew about the principle of tithing in the first, but I just did not know about anything related to the rest about investing, about saving, about debt, about insurance, about, I I remember the first time I went to buy a house, like mortgages, you might as well have been talking a foreign language. Mm -hmm. Um, I remember the first time I filed my taxes. I, I I didn't, what in the world, you know, uh, who is the IRS? Who is FICA on my paycheck? Right? No. So here's how faith informed it. I realized that if I'm going to grow as a Christ follower, I'd better start learning on my own that I can't just rely. I went to church a lot, so you could get by from one to two days, but I realized that this faith, especially when you go to college, you find out whether or not your faith is your faith or if you're borrowing somebody else's faith. Yeah. And I started diving into God's word and I just found out how relevant it is to my everyday life, not just for finances, but every aspect of my life. And it is a wonderful mirror. And, and so for me, you know, there are good things to do with money that may or may not be mentioned in the Bible. Like it does not say you should invest in your 401k. 401ks were not around then, but it does <laughs> say we should invest. Yeah. Right. Yeah. yeah. And so what I found is that I go, I look to the word, particularly the red letters. I really love what Jesus sh- says. And I look at those words and then I say, how does that get practically applied today? And I found that I did go to a top five engineering university. Um, I quickly found out that I was one of the poorest students there with my 2.64 GPA, um, which was brought up by my A in indoor flower arranging. Um, but I, I, but I, I did graduate. And, and as I was there, you know, I, I really found that the classes that connected with me were the ones that taught theory and then immediately took us to a lab and says, here's what this means in real life. Hmm. The ones that just talked in the clouds all the time, bad grades, excellent grades where it was connected. And I said, if I'm ever going to teach anything, I'm going to connect the dots. That's my passion is connecting. So, so my faith, I want to connect the dots to practical application. And so I do it in my own life. And my principle is uh, if God does something for me, I'm not going to keep it to myself. I'm going to give it away. It's good. Whatever it might be, whatever knowledge I might have, I want to hand it off, teach others. So I found myself as an engineer, you know, I got to go to all the different, different facilities. I always scheduled classes. I'm going to teach them something. I don't know what it is, how to use Microsoft Excel, how to use the database, whatever it is. And people would say, why are you doing that? Like, you're really good at this and that's job security for you. And it's like, cause I don't want to keep this job forever, you know? <laughs> and I want other people knowing how to do it cause we'll all get better. And I found that people were very grateful for that. So, you know, faith, I think faith held in oneself, that's one thing. But when you start giving it away and you share it, it you help people recognize that these words written down on parchment 2000 years ago or older, Man, it's just as relevant right now yeah, uh, so to good. our lives. That's so good. For the for the person that may be listening and, and watching and thinking, man, I really would love a budget. I don't even know where to start. Like, what's the easiest way? I mean, budget basically is income expenses, right? Like, what is the easiest way for someone to start budgeting and, and then stick to it? I think budgeting is kind of like dieting. Everyone aspires to it, but not everybody does it over the course, it's not, it doesn't become a lifestyle for a lot of people. So how could you move from maybe struggling with it or sporadically doing it to kind of adopting the <laughs> lifestyle of a budget? This is the, this is a universally challenging issue. Mm. You know, do you, I like how you connected it to dieting. Hmm. You know, the problem with budgeting and with dieting, good financial management and good eating is you still have to spend and you still have to consume food. So you can't abstain from either. 
Yeah, right? So things that you can abstain from and it doesn't affect your life when you abstain for it or it gets better. Well, that's great. But both of these require that we interact with it. And if we have a bad relationship with it, boy, it can mess us up. So I think the first thing I would encourage every person to do is just evaluate, you know, how do you feel when you think about budgeting? What are the feelings? Hmm. Because I will tell you today that I carry money wounds and I find that most people carry money wounds. And because I grew up with parents who didn't really communicate really well at all about money and there was always challenges. Um, and because I started out with substantial challenges, even though I have now done a budget every single month without fail since July of 2003, so almost 20 years, every month when it comes budget time, I flush, I flush red. I have to resist the fight or flight defense mechanism. <laughs> My upper lip yeah. starts sweating. I'm not kidding. No, just and I the feel same like way. somebody. It, I feel like somebody turned off my AC in the summer yeah. or turned on the gas logs and set my house on fire in the winter. Yeah. And I have to tell myself, even to this day, this is, this is right behavior, no matter how I feel. The, my feelings are lying to me. Oh, wow. So I would just tell those who are listening who struggle with budgeting, they have those feelings. You have to beat back this, this, this feeling and say, the feeling is a liar. Mm. And, and for me, and I, I did some detailed research on this with some psychologists where we were looking at, at, I was looking at their studies about people, why they won't do things they know they should do. And it's because of these feelings. And the problem is stepping away from it makes them feel better temporarily. Oh, I don't have to do budgeting. Oh, whoo, whoo. But then the situation gets even worse. And so now they feel even worse feelings. Right. And so um, so I've found that the easiest way is to say to yourself, what is right behavior? And identify your financial wounds. What is your wounding? And ad admit those out loud. Hey, I have money wounding. People have used money to manipulate me. Uh, people use money as a force against me. Um, I grew up in poverty. Uh I grew up in wealth and no one taught me. Um, and they, I saw people use it to lord over or exert power in a negative way. Um, so for me, I would encourage you to acknowledge the wounds and then use a template. Use, use somebody's template. We have free budgeting templates. All God's children have budgeting templates. Google them. Um, there's app after app after app. You know, don't do it on paper. You know, most people hate math. They believe Satan L. Lucifer himself invented math. <laughs> and so when they hear a budget, this is their thought process. Oh, I need to do a budget, man. Yeah, that sounds great. And then they're like, ooh, budgets require math. Math is from Satan. Therefore, budgets are from Satan. Oh, I wouldn't want to do anything that's ungodly. <laughs> and then they don't budget. And so what a, bu what a budget template does is it does the math for you. It removes Satan from your finances. <laughs> Get fired. <laughs> and so use the template because what I found is people would be in there. Oh, we forgot this. And then here they are doing another math exercise. Yeah. Oh, we forgot to include this. Another math exercise. The value is, hey, let's put something in there. It does the math instantaneously. We can make a new decision. Mm -hmm. And the key is to plan your spending before the month begins. You got to do this before. The plan happens before the event. You would build a house after you have a set of house plans, right? You would go on a trip. Hopefully you plan it before you leave. Do the same with your finances. And I would just encourage somebody, try it for three months in a row. You'll be wrong the first month. Put right. line items in your budget called we forgot and <laughs> I'm dumb, whatever. You're going to forget stuff. And then the second month will be a little better. The third month, it, it'll become a habit mm -hmm. and it'll be a good habit. And as a person in my office says all the time, Form good habits. They're just as hard to break as bad ones. I, You That's know, when good. you talk about that, I think of growing up, I didn't know that I was dyslexic, um, but I loved to write. And I would mm. withhold writing because I couldn't spell what I wanted to write. And it wasn't mm. until I got in college that I 
this was back when like online school wasn't really a thing. And so I was at this Catholic college that offered a writing correspondence program to get credits. And I remember being on campus and Sister Mary Margaret sat me down and she said, Trisha, you are a brilliant writer, but your spelling is at like a fifth grader. And I just remember like just sobbing and so embarrassed. (laughs) And she said, but there's a program called Microsoft Word that I think is going Mm -hmm. to change your life. And what has happened is that was that was my program. It gave me the ability to do what I knew I could do, but I couldn't get there on my own. And Mm. now 20 lots of years later, um, I because I use that over and over again, I'm actually a really good speller. Some things. There's some things I will never know how to spell, like disciples gets me every time. But <laughs> it that constant learning, but you said something that is so important. You have to show yourself grace that you are going to fail. Like this isn't a one and done, but don't give up because over time you start to figure out and you start to realize, man. I didn't realize that we spent that much money on all these elective stuff between Netflix and Hulu. And you, it, it makes you, like you said, be in charge. And so I feel like I always think of Microsoft Word. It literally changed my life. And that is the same, you know, of, of yeah. finding out that budget. That's a great example. I love that. I, I when, when I have the privilege of officiating a wedding, uh, I always, you know, you always get your three, four minutes where you get to say what you want to say. (laughs) And the one thing I always tell them is, hey, listen, the best either of you could do the rest of your life is make zero mistakes. That's the best you could do. How likely is that? Mm. Zero percent chance. Right. So rush to forgiveness. Mm. Just rush to forgiveness. Because I think the reason we get so put out when our spouse does something that disappoints us is because maybe, just maybe, we're thinking that they were perfect. We don't say it out loud, but that's why we experience a lot of times such deep disappointment. I think the same thing is true financially. You have to know you're going to make mistakes. Sometimes your fault, sometimes wantonly, but other times you're going to make mistakes because you just didn't know information. Yeah. And, and, and what I always just tell people, Hey, look, the beautiful thing is you can make a decision. And if that doesn't work, you can always make another decision. Yeah. And I teach this for a living and I still make mistakes. It's just the nature of it. And so, uh, Dr. Maxwell wrote a book called failing forward. And he also said, sometimes you learn, sometimes what, what do you say? Sometimes you learn, sometimes you, I forget how it is. He says it, but, uh, I know, I know he's basically I mean, saying, hey, sometimes we succeed and sometimes we learn. Yeah. It's really yeah. what he's saying. Yeah. Rather than fail. fail. fail, Don't view it as failure as in finality. Right. View it as failure of what did I not know? How can I get better? For, for the couples that um, may be listening and one of them, you, you identified yourself as a spender. Um, for the couples that are, you know, one's a spender, one's a saver. One is kind of maybe irrational. The other is maybe over conservative or, um, you know, you know, very (laughs) frugal. How can two, how can those two people find common ground when it comes to finances? Um, you know, it's a challenge. Uh, (laughs) God puts polar opposites together a lot of times, particularly in the financial arena. I think there's a reason for it. Um, God puts a saver in that marriage so that they show up at retirement with some money and he puts a spender in there so that you have fun getting there. You know, there's a good balance to it. And I always say, if two spenders get married, you can charge admission to watch that one. Cause that's going to be awesome. You put two savers together. They may be no fun, but you know what? They'll fund your fun. They'll, they'll invest in your business cause they're going to have all the resources. But you know, most times it is a spender and a saver. And what I find is, that the spender is generally more inclined and better suited to manage the investing side. And the saver is better suited for the tactical bill paying budgeting execution of the day to day. Spenders and what creates a spender and that mentality uh, has a little bit of that investing, take some risk. I'm willing to take some risk. This sounds good. Let's try it. 
The saver is like, hey, I'm following a budget. If it's not there, um, even if it is there, I'm going to be very conservative. And so I think it is valuing what each other brings to the table and having some trust. And what I have found has been most beneficial to my bride and I is having coaches in our life. Hmm. Um, Proverbs 15, 22 was very influential for me where it says plans fail for lack of counsel, but with many advisors, they succeed. Hmm. And you know, you guys do counsel for marriage and that counsel helps people in a very important area of their life that is not taught in schools. And so there are financial coaches and counselors. And so we have coaches in our life who know our financial decisions. And so my bride always says, that's good. What does so-and-so say about it? <laughs> that was hey, one of the, mad about that. That was one of the biggest fights we got like literally set uh, the trajectory of our financial future for almost a whole decade is we grew up in families that, you know, Justin was scarcity mindset. I don't know. I don't know if it's my personality or if it was just my parents. I don't know or if I just wasn't observant, but like my dad would give me the last $20 he had, even if the lights were going off, which they never did, but he was such a giver. And so it, you know, I was wanting to give money away and Justin, like we weren't on the same page, but I remember, uh, we talked about this in our master class that I we got a we, couple. We, we bounced a check. Yes. And that kind of was like the last straw for Trish realizing that I wasn't managing the finance as well. We had to borrow money from her mom to cover the bounce check. It was the first time we've ever, we had borrowed money. We'd been married for four or five years at the time. And I mean, I had a job since 14. So like, this girl did not borrow money. Like I made money and now I was a stay at home mom. It was fine. But I'm like, what, what is going on right here? So she tells me, Hey, we're going over to Mark and Rhonda's house tonight for dinner. And I said, okay. So they were driving out to their house. We turn right to go onto their road. And she goes, Oh, by the way, this is a financial intervention. <laughs> now, I was young. But and so <laughs> she had, she had given them all of our bank records. She had taken over all of this information. Now, which the heart wasn't to, the to heart, rat yeah, you out. Yeah, it, the, was it was yeah to figure it out. And we, we respected them a lot and we looked up to them and they lived on a golf course, but he was my boss. He was the senior pastor of the church. I was the youth pastor at. So not only was it very humbling, it was very humiliating. And it was like, almost mm -hmm. like someone had just stripped me naked and thrown me outside, you know? And, and so it, the, the result was good. The, the approach was not good. <laughs> Like I wouldn't recommend that. That's right. I would say there's a little bit of a failure to communicate early enough. Yeah. Well, what, what here's the question, Justin, Justin, would you have went if she had oh. told you earlier? No, that's, that, that was the issue is I didn't want a coach. I didn't, I, I didn't want any help. And so it really set us, obviously I was, I was upset about it. And then it, it became a really great linchpin for us. Now, obviously we, you know, our financial success and failure was kind of like this, you know, we, we didn't, I wish we'd have learned those a lot of lessons then that it took us a number of years to, to actually learn about debt and all that. But it was one of those things where, um, I would not have asked for help had it not been imposed on me. And it's one of my biggest regrets looking back, we could have not struggled financially for years had mm. I been willing to ask for help. Earlier. I think one of the greatest tools of the enemy is he isolates us and makes us think we're the only ones. And then he puffs us up with some pride saying, I can figure it out myself. Yeah. Mm. yeah. And that combination has kept people broke for five decades of their life. Yeah. And you know, that's why I always say, how sad is it that you have people that are 50 years old, they have worked hard for 30 years of their life and they're still at the same spot they were 20 years ago, 30 years ago. They have no money, all of it's no plan, no knowledge, and have no idea what they don't know. And yet they're still resistant to coaching. That's good. And so that's what I think is good about podcasts. It allows people who maybe have a challenge of this pride, this, uh, hey, maybe I can figure it out myself. Hey, then go listen on their own. And maybe just maybe it can start knocking down that door that they've put up, that wall they put up so they can be open to some coaching in their life. 
Well, so we, good. I mean, we had this conversation with our adult kids because we are really freaking great parents. We're amazing parents, <laughs> but we have totally done our kids a disservice when it comes to finances. Cause when we got married as kids and then we had kids and we, they kind of grew up with us. And so, I mean, yeah. by the time they hit that age to be able to implement those things, they were nearing out of the house. And so I'll never forget, we were with our kids and our oldest son is like, Hey, I got to peace out for about 20 minutes. I got to talk to my financial advisor. And I was like, what? You know, like I was like, maybe we are good parents. And then <laughs> he began to share how he got connected with the financial advisor and it had nothing to do with us. But it was this reminder in, you know, for those listening, you can start at any time. Yeah. Like you have to have that reality check, but whether you're 50 and feeling like defeated, oh my gosh, you know, I'm going to retire in 15 years and I don't have anything. Well, you can start today. I mean, it's same principle in yeah. relationships. We get to decide every day to be the person that we want to be. And, but we need to show ourselves grace and forgiveness, mm -hmm. but then at some point we have to take action. And I think that's what I love about your story. I think a lot of people, especially couples are listening going, well, what do you do to get his wife to come to the table? Or what do I do to get my husband to come to the table? Like that's kind of the oh, miracle moment. Go. Yeah. Of like the miracle moment is I was the non-participating spouse. Hmm. It wasn't getting my wife to the table. It was getting me to the table. Yeah. And the reason I didn't want to show up, same reason Justin was just sharing. Hmm. You know, you know, I don't need somebody to tell me. I, I, you know, I've got a college degree. I, I should be able to figure this out. Right. Yeah. And I remember the first time that I ran across some training on this. I was, somebody was raving about it. I was like, what are you talking about? And I hung up on them. <laughs> and a year later, I didn't remember what all they had said, but I had remembered it was financial related. And I was calling them because all of a sudden this seed planted a year earlier, I was able to humble myself and say, Hey, tell me some more. And mm. it set me off. And I also know that there was power of, of praying wife. I'm okay. confident behind the scenes. She was praying saying, Lord, I can't get the spender under control, but you can. And he got my attention because, you know, because I was, I wanted to honor the Lord with everything in my life. And I'm, I'm just grateful at 28, he got a hold of me. That's amazing. Uh, for the listener that is maybe dating right now and yeah. they're, or maybe they're getting going to get married, they're thinking about combining finances. That's one of the most intimidating things to do. What words of wisdom would you offer to a couple that may be in that season where they're like, okay, how are we going to, what, what are some principles to, to think about as you're maybe considering linking your life to someone for the rest of your life financially? Um, the first thing I would say is if you're not married yet, you need to have the debt conversation. Tell, Hey, we need to know all of, all of our debt. It will bring the honeymoon to a screeching halt. If you have not told them you have $100,000 of student loan debt and they found out they just married that because that affects their life. Right. And so you need to have the conversation so that, you know, you have a foundation built on truth. And then what I would encourage you to do is to not merge your finances until you have signed the lines because, you know, putting your both names on an account, putting both names on any financial instrument makes you both legally obligated to it. And if you have not legally linked up maritally, uh, if you, a lot, a lot of people have chosen to buy a house before they're married and both names are on there. And, you know, as circumstances lead out, sometimes they split, but now they're both obligated on this house. What do you do? Hmm. And so you can avoid that entirely by not linking stuff until after you're married. Um, and the other thing I would say is, uh, three months, six months before you're married, before that date, put together a budget of what things are going to look like once you're married. That's great. Put both That's your great. incomes in there. Hey, you're going to have this, you, maybe you're both in apartments right now. What's this one apartment going to look like? And what do your bills look like? And then start talking about your plans, hopes, and dreams. It's a great date night idea. Mm -hmm. If we're married or unmarried, go to Starbucks, get a cafe Americano hot, Grande, three shots of fresh made espresso served at 1 billion degrees. And it's, it, it costs like four bucks. And so get, and here's the deal. 
while it is cooling to drinkable temperature, you cannot talk to each other. You can make eyes at each other, you know, things like that. But write down your individual plans, hopes, and dreams. Hmm. Where do you want to travel? Uh, what what type of career do you want to have? How, how many kids do you want to have? Uh, what type of car do you want to have? Who do you want to give to? Um, what type of, uh, do you want to be chouse? I don't know. What is What are you compelled to do with your life? Do you want to start a business? Write down all those dreams. And then as your coffee gets to a drinkable temperature, start sharing those with one another. Mm. And you'll find you have shared dreams, of course, but you also find you have individual dreams. Mm. And what I find that is great is when my bride and I, uh, Jen and I, three years ago, uh, I was writing a book called uh, 2020 Money, getting a vision for your life and then line up your money decisions with it. And I had nailed down 22 questions that you should go through when you're determining what's next. And we went through those questions over three days. And we got through about five questions a day. There was, it was frustrating. I mean, this is a bad sales pitch for my book. <laughs> I was like, is um, it super romantic? It was, like, how's this, which way is this going, It was going, not Joe? romantic. <laughs> it was not romantic. You do not want to do that. Are you serious? Like, you know. And then, of course, hurt feelings and conversations, you know, but uh, over some really good food in Charleston, South Carolina, you know, at the end of each day, we found it was very helpful and healthy. Mm. And I encourage people that get ready, get married, they're dating, go through that conversation because it is so, you know, I love funding one of my dreams, but I love, love funding one of Jen's dreams. Mm -hmm. And the reason I know the dream is because we've shared them. Yeah, that's good. So I have, we have one last question, but I want to ask a question before that one that come to mind. Okay. A, a very common theme that we find with couples, especially millennials, who I love you all so much. I know lots of hate on the millennials. I think they're love amazing. Them I love them. But a lot of separate accounts and very uh, firm in that. And honestly, we get asked that all the time. And so there's kind of like this biblical perspective of, you know, being one, but honestly, I'm not really sure I've had a clear perspective on it. I mean, we've always had our all of our money in one account. What would you speak to that? Is it good, bad, indifferent? I do not care. Um, <laughs> that's my answer. Here is my approach. Y'all, all those conversations you... I've had with you, I'm sorry. Here's the word from Joe. He doesn't care. Yeah. Here's the thing. As long as each other has access to the balances... And when you, like your paychecks, you put them both on the budget and you plan them all and you're clear on who's paying what. You see, the the opening for deception is when you don't know and you're unwilling to share. Okay. So if you're say, show, sharing all your income and where all it's going, then you are united together on those funding. But there are people who are on second marriages. There are people who grew up with horrible money wounds where mom got stranded, dad walked and took everything and they had nothing. And that is, listen, I'm not here to argue on whether or not that individual should merge their accounts and just blind trust. What I am saying, you can have 700 accounts as long as everybody knows what's in those accounts and that you're open with what's coming in and where it's going. Good for you. So Jenny and I, we do have combined accounts. All of our accounts are combined. We chose to do that. We did not carry deep scarring. You know, we were married in our youth. We plan to be married in our elderly years. But I understand that. And I have seen that in the millennials. And, you know, you said that your child has a financial advisor. We've seen, you know, you got a kid who's 20 years old. Watch this. They don't know what it's like to live in a life without terrorism because mm. September 11th happened when they were one, if they're 20 right now or 21 or so, they don't know what it's like to live with privacy because everything is available anywhere. They don't know what it's like to live life without social media. And, and they have direct access to crazy story after crazy story. And so they also have a, uh, they also were the first generation a long time who had their parents when they were in their formative years, five, six, seven years old, they went through the great financial recession and parents who never had an issue with money lost their homes. Hmm. 
Mm. And as a result, it got the attention of that generation and the savings rate of that generation is higher than it's been for generations in the last four decades. See, pretty, pretty millennials. We love you. We are so (laughs) proud of you. Way to go. I have one in my household. (laughs) (laughs) Hey, for the listener um, that may be experienced broken trust in a relationship and their marriage, um, especially in the financial area, or maybe for the spouse that has broken trust, there is that hiddenness. What are some steps to kind of rebuild that and bring that back together? If there is some wounds there, there is some broken trust there. Um, I'm going to share a little quick story with that and then answer. Um, me and my bride love watching shows. We love reality shows. We remember when Survivor first came out, we've watched them all, The Amazing Race. We're still suckers for most of it. Um, and we've watched a show called Little People Big World with uh, the roll-offs. Yeah. And they have a pumpkin farm in Oregon. It's amazing. And I love it because I, I like farming. I have a farm. And I'm just amazed what Matt Roloff has achieved and watching his bride. And, and I we watched them fighting in the first four or five years. That marriage was deteriorating before the public's eyes. Mm. And I distinctly remember one episode we were watching and he came home with two just purchased Mercedes and he had never talked to his bride about it. Hmm. And you talk about breaking financial trust. Like if there was any left, you could just literally see it happening. And I, I was sitting there fathoming. You know, I could not fathom coming home with two fine vehicles like that without having piles of conversations with my bride. Mm-hmm. And he just showed up with them. And it was a result of years of them breaking each other's trust. And so I use that as an example. I've continued to watch the show and it's been amazing to watch them, you know, kind of repair the relationship even as they went through divorce. Um, and as they've tried to address that in second relationships. Mm-hmm. So what I would say for people who've broken trust is you, you have to have clear and open conversation and you have to have multiple moments where you can express your frustration with the spouse that has broken your trust and the spouse, if you're the one who's broken trust, you have to recognize that that is earned back perhaps over years. It's never earned over weeks or months. Mm. And you have to know that the research indicates that they call it financial infidelity and the reason they call it financial infidelity is the feelings, the emotions are very similar to marital infidelity. And it takes years of, of conversation and years of choosing forgiveness to overcome it. The one beautiful thing about money is even if you declare bankruptcy, America is the land where you can get do-overs. Yeah. It's so wonderful. Yeah. I mean, it's just wonderful that we have a system that does that. I've never had to declare bankruptcy, but I know many people who have. And in the moment, they thought it was the worst thing that would ever happen. And a lot of times one spouse took the blame over another. And frankly, the other spouse blamed them too. And it probably is appropriately placed blame, but they get do-overs. Hmm. So what I always tell people is, do the autopsy, find out the lessons you can learn from that so that the failure is not permanent, that, but that it becomes a learning moment. That's so good. And then rush to forgiveness. Hmm. Yeah. Just choose to rush to forgiveness. Yeah, we say and, all the time, forgiveness is free, trust is earned. And in that hmm. earning of the trust, it's not a shaming. It is just, it's rebuilding. And so if we allow our spouse to rebuild and look at it from that perspective, then we see that we're building this beautiful, strong foundation that we're better in the end. This was so good. Is I, if there's, Oh, go ahead. I was just going to say any, any um, re, like resources, like low hanging fruit resources you'd recommend mm-hmm. right off the, you know, kind of off the top of your head for anybody that wants to kind of go deeper with this. A- absolutely. Uh, a couple of them. Uh, we have over a hundred free financial tools on our website at I was broke. I'm not.com. Just go download them, budget templates, debt calculators, all that. Um, and then we have a membership program 
cost about 99 bucks for a year called Fully Funded Life at fullyfunded.life. And it comes with courses. It also comes with challenges where people can get good at a money skill. Like we're in the middle of a 40-day budget challenge right now. Um, we have a 21-day savings challenge. And what I really love about it, though, is we have coaching. Mm-hmm. And so members get unlimited 30-minute Zoom coaching appointments with one of our coaches. Oh, wow. And if you're looking for a mentor uh, that is not going to sell you anything, that is there to serve you and answer your questions in a confidential manner, and you no longer have to speak in generalities, this is why I created the program. And uh, we launched it a couple years ago. We have about 750 members that are in it right now. Uh, would love to have those that are really serious about it. Uh, we love to help people in that area. It's our it's our one burning passion, help people win with their money and live fully funded lives. That's amazing. amazing. Thanks so much for your time, Joe. This was so good. I think I'm going to rewatch it and listen as well. It's so good. I'm going to become a member. You've become a member. That's awesome. Yeah. Hey, discounts for podcasts. <laughs> <laughs> And what an incredible episode with Joe Sangle. I hope that you were encouraged and inspired with the wisdom and this, the practical uh, advice that Joe had for us when it comes to finances. One of his favorite sayings is get fired up. He restrained himself and only said it one time in this episode, but hopefully you're fired up to really apply some of the things that Joe said in this episode. You can go to the show notes and download a bunch of free resources from Joe's website. I was broke and now I'm not. Guys, one last reminder about our next masterclass, February 2nd at 8 p.m. It's a live masterclass online, free of charge. You can register at refineus.org slash masterclass. And each month we offer this free masterclass. And this month we're going to be talking about sexual intimacy and why so many couples struggle in this area of their marriage and how God created it for us to enjoy and not be stressed out about or on different pages about. And so I can't wait for that. You can register at refineus.org slash masterclass. We're going to be sharing a big announcement that we have for you as well. Uh, just a new resource that we're, we've been working hard on and can't wait to share it with you. So register refineus.org slash masterclass. Thanks so much, guys, for joining us for the Let's Get Real podcast, and we'll talk soon.